God's word from 1 Peter. Thank God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy we men, we people, have been born again into a life full of hope. Through Christ rising again from the dead, you can now hope for a perfect inheritance beyond the reach of any change and decay reserved in heaven for you. And in the meantime, you are guarded by the power of God operating through your faith till you enter fully into the salvation which is all ready for the denouement on the last day. This means tremendous joy for you, I know, even though at present you are temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials and temptations. This is no accident. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. And gold, as you know, even though it's ultimately perishable, must be purified by fire. This proving of your faith is planned to result in praise and honour and glory in the day when Jesus Christ reveals himself. And though you have never seen him, yet I know that you love him. At present, you trust him without being able to see him. And even now, he brings you a joy that words cannot express and which has in it a hint of the glories of heaven. And all the time, you're receiving the result of your faith in him, the salvation of your own soul. Everybody will be aware of, uh, that recent media coverage has uh, shown us the camps in Thailand where people are trafficked. People who left where they live, lived with, with hope, with promises of a better life, and now they find themselves, if they're still alive, they find themselves somebody's merchandise. They find themselves a commodity. And no matter how big the group or how small the group, all those groups are made up of individual people. Each person with their own life, their one life, that's all we get. And that one life has been stolen from them. I want us to think a wee bit about, here's Joseph. Joseph's about 17 or 18. He's lying here in the darkness. He's dirty. He's hungry. He's, he's in shock. He's trying to, to get into his head what's been happening in the last few days. Every day, in the cool of the early day, he has to walk as far as he can. He's roped together with other people who are also merchandise. And he's kept alive because he's worth something to somebody. He's worth money. But what's it, what's it like for him? We can only guess. We can only guess, but he must be devastated. All he knows is gone. All he knows is gone. He must feel fear, anger. He certainly feels betrayal. Did he know how much his brothers hated him? Some of them wanted to kill him. And, and here he is, 
daily moving further away from all he knows. Now put out of your mind for the present what he doesn't know. He doesn't know the end. It's easy for us who know the whole story. At this moment, he has to deal with now. And where does he turn? Where does he turn as he awakens every morning to find this, this is true? Now, if you think on your own support system, family, friends, colleagues, church, and God, Joseph has only God. There's no church praying. There's no scripture to memorize that hasn't been written. All he has is God and what has been put into him. And now, in Joseph's time of extreme need, he has to dig deep and hold on. And we have to think, he has to, he has to dig deep into what he has been given and what has he been given. Back there, where he came from. Life was good. He was the favorite son of a prosperous family. Big herds. And I don't know, we were reading between the lines, he possibly didn't have to do as much work. He was certainly given a very special coat, which wasn't the kind of thing you'd go to work in. But he was certainly the favorite son of a big, prosperous family. And what had he heard? He'd heard he remembers his father's accounts of meeting his encounters with Yahweh. He remembers his father telling them about his father Isaac and his, his great-grandfather, Joseph's great-grandfather, Jacob's grandfather, Abram, and how God met Abraham and promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to the whole world, that he would make him a great nation blessing to the whole world and here's Joseph he thought he'd be part of that and now he's totally alone and all he has to hold on to are these things that he remembered he had thought he had been taught this is the one true God God knows all and he holds on because he must have hope and he had the dreams that God had given him. He believed God had given him those dreams. And, and now, but God has promised, and it's easy for us to stand here and say in a few minutes that he believes, but we see evidence that he believed. God has promised. God is faithful. God is here. It's what had been put into him. And even against the odds, he still believes that God knows everything and is not absent. Even in this hard place, the God of his fathers becomes his God too. And at this point, I just want us all to stop for a few minutes and think, where, if you have a faith in God. Where does your faith come from? Yes, we know that faith is the gift of God, and yet God chooses to pass that faith through people, 
to other people. And each of us had people who handed down that faith to us. Parents, and I'm a parent, I speak to myself, we must never underestimate the importance of living our faith before our children, of searching the truths of God and living it out and sharing that with our children and praying for them always. And junior church and youth leaders, don't underestimate your role as well. It is not any less than teaching adults. Children in their formative years are are every bit as important, and we tend to think that they're slightly less important than adults. And young fellows and girls here, don't take for granted your access to the truth, your access to the community of faith, your access to God's word that has been handed down to us, that is so easily available submit to it, absorb it, feed on it. Because for all of us, times come when we're tested. Times come when things are difficult. And, we have to, and whatever we have drunk in becomes what we hold on to. So, and I just want to say to you about uh, Joseph. Joseph's brothers had the same upbringing as he had. It's not just about input. Joseph's brothers had the same father. They presumably heard the same things. But their response, they, their lives were characterized much more by violence, retaliation, certainly not trust and faith. We don't see that evidenced. So each of us, no matter what the input, makes a response. God calls, but we answer. And I want us to take a few moments, maybe more than moments, to pray together. And you may want to pray silently. And you want, may want to, to give thanks out loud. But think of the people through whom God brought faith to you. Because none of us stands alone. And each of us has people. And you may not even know them. You may not even know the people who have been big in your life who have brought you to this point but let's give thanks for them at this point I want to thank you for the host of people who have gone through people's minds here this morning Lord who have carried your faith faith in you and your hope Lord through to each of us Lord Friends who have encouraged, who have shaped and brought us to where we are. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So back back home, the brothers go back and and here's the coat. Here's the coat all torn, dipped in blood. And Joseph's not forgotten. 
but he's mourned because his father thinks he's dead. The brothers don't know where he is. And now we go back to Joseph and he now is mid-twenties. And what's been happening? When he got to Egypt, we know he was sold to Potiphar. And somehow in his, his thinking, he still accepts, he still believes, he believes God, even though he's, he's in a foreign land, he's in a completely different situation. His faith held, and it grew, and, we, and we're told that God was with him, and he did what was there. He got down to work. Just, just the ordinary stuff that was, that was before him. And God honored that. And his ability and his attitude were noticed. And he rose from being a houseboy to being a house manager. He had success. But success gets noticed. And he was catapulted now into a, a no-win situation. And again before God, he made the right decision and refused to give in to the seductive moves of his boss's wife. And what happened? It gets him into deeper trouble. And now here he is, and he's in prison, and, and this is a dungeon. Through no fault of his, he's further from home, and it seems further from hope, where is God? And his faith in God's sovereignty must, must be getting stretched. I know, don't forget, if we could only take it out of our heads what we know of the story and try, you know, because for Joseph, he's there. It hasn't shown any signs of going up yet. Everything is going down. And his dreams, when he remembers those dreams, they must, when you think of the content of those dreams, they must almost mock him. <coughs> but he must have hope. And he believes, still he believes, and, he, and his belief in God leads him to action. And again, his attitude and his ability stand out. And he actually appears to be managing the prison. What is going on? It's a strange story. And it's one we get to know from our kids, sometimes, some of us, and, and yet. It's an amazing story. And it, the whole thing, Joseph's story, takes up ten chapters in Genesis. But consider us this. When any of us talks about looking for God's will in our lives, let's be honest. Is this the kind of scenario we have in mind? If we're honest, <laughs> definitely not. Kidnapped, trafficked, slandered, wrongfully imprisoned. It all sounds like the kind of disaster catalogue that breeds bitterness and loss of faith. And you know, we sometimes talk about walking on water. What do we have in mind when we, when we think of walking on water? Uh, 
possibly something spectacular. But here's a man who's thriving in circumstances that should drown him. I mean, this, this is walking on water. From an encounter with God, we, if you're like me, you t- we, we tend to think of something joyful. We tend to think of joy, exhilaration, abundant life. And yet, Scripture doesn't always show that. I mean, do, have we maybe put a dose of Western culture values into our perception of what an encounter with God is? Western culture values like pursuit of happiness, personal freedom, choice, ease. Because Scripture is, is full of examples of uh, people who had great difficulties. Daniel, Daniel's friends, many of the prophets, Job, uh, the apostles, Suzanne mentioned John, whose brother James was executed. Uh, the list goes on. And Jesus himself, God's son, perfectly in God's will. Let's just listen to a few, just a few short pieces from God's word. James 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. Because these build perseverance in your faith. Hebrews 12, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters too. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And we usually associate being in the wilderness with being away from God and possibly due to disobedience. And yet, in Luke 4, we're told Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And Christ's submission to his Father's will in Gethsemane was a time of great turmoil and hardship for Christ. And yet he was absolutely in God's will. And Hebrews 12 speaks of Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross. But Joseph, meanwhile, has worked with the situation he was in. And like in the parable of Jesus, where the servant who was faithful in a few things was given more, eventually Joseph would see what he was being prepared for. And we had it in one of the songs Suzanne chose. You meant it for evil, he would later tell his brothers, but God meant it for good. Because the goal of any hardships we go through, that God might allow us to go through, we may not know the goal. But what, what may be produced is, is a stronger faith. And that's what James 1 is about. And when we look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, all those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, are all responses And they all have the potential opposite response. They're all active. Going back to Joseph and his dreams, I believe that 
when we read the story of Joseph, we can see that Joseph's dreams were an important part of his response to the trouble he was in. Yes, he had the, uh, the input of his father's experience and his grandfather's experience and his great-grandfather's experience, but when he speaks to Pharaoh later on and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, he says to Pharaoh, the reason God gave you the dream in two forms was because God intends to do it and do it soon. So that's obviously what Joseph believed. And those two dreams then were things that in his mind he believed, God has given me those, God will do it. All the time that he was in this situation, he did believe, because of those dreams, that God was not finished. So although Joseph's dreams were part of the problem as far as his brothers were concerned, they sustained Joseph in, in his difficulty. And they told him that God had a future for him. And if we don't have a future, we don't have hope. That which gives us hope gives us meaning for now. We need belief in the future to get up in the morning and do our work. And we need a firm hope to get up and deal with the kind of conditions that Joseph was dealing with. So what about us? What do we hope for? And what are our what are our expectations of the future? Um, and on what are those expectations based? Have we, got re- have we got real, have we just, are they just vague expectations? Or are they firm expectations based on things God has promised? I want to read you a piece here from, from a book called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And he says, to live strongly and creatively in the kingdom of God, we need to have firmly fixed in our minds what our future is to be like. We want to live fully in the kingdom now. And for that purpose, our future must make sense to us. It must be something we can now plan or make decisions in terms of, with clarity and joyful anticipation. In this way, our future can be incorporated into our life now, and our life now can be incorporated into our future. And he explains that, I meet many faithful Christians who, in spite of their faith, are deeply disappointed in how their lives have turned out. Sometimes it's simply a matter of how they experience aging, which they take to mean they no longer have a future. But often, because of circumstances or wrongful decisions and actions by others, what they had hoped to accomplish in, the, in, the, in life, they did not. They painfully puzzle over what they may have done wrong or over whether God has really been with them. Much of the distress of these good people comes from a failure to realize that their life lies before them. That they are coming to the end of their present life is of little significance. What is of significance? is the kind of person they have become. Circumstances and other people are not in control of an individual's character or the life that lies endlessly before us in the kingdom of God. 
And, th and that last sentence is really what we learn from the story of Joseph. Circumstances are not in control of an individual's character or of the life that lies endlessly before us in the kingdom of God. So what does God say about our future? A few things. Isaiah 64. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Psalm 16. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Jesus in John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. I am going to prepare a place for you. And in Matthew 13, in Jesus, Jesus' parable about the weeds being taken out of the, the, the corn, finishes up with, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. These, these are just a few excerpts plucked out of many promises of what our future is. And are there any guarantees? Ephesians 1, we received the promised Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So just as, just as Joseph's dreams, which may at times seem to, seem to mock him, turned out to be true, so we too must go about life, listen to the news, and believe that God's plan, new heaven and new earth, is what we are being prepared for. But here we are, here we are now. And like Joseph, we're not called to wait passively. Joseph's situation is not one we or he would immediately identify as a spiritual calling, slave, housework, managing the daily run of the house, then prison, work, again managing the daily run of the prison. It's not, it, it's not a, an apparently big job. Joseph's response was to do what had to be done. He didn't wait for the right situation which corresponded with his dreams and think, ah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. He, he just did the mundane thing that was there to be done. And he didn't know the end from where he was. So much like the prophecy in Jer Jeremiah 29, uh, which says, seek the prosperity of the city to which you have been brought. For if you prosper, it, for it prospers, you will prosper. God said, don't be thinking about getting home. Don't be thinking, you know, where you are now, live there. Just live good lives there. So where do you find yourself now? Because whether it's, as we, as we sang there, the sun can be shining or it can be a dark valley. But God is not absent. God is not unaware. Each of us is on our front line with God because the great thing in the Joseph story is it says, and God was with him. So all of, all of this provides a context for the end of the Jeremiah 29 prophecy. For I know the plans I have for you. All these things are in God's hands. And God does have plans, plans to give you a hope 
and a future. It's where God has put us, and it's just for us to do what God puts in front of us. As Paul says, and I finish with this, in Colossians 3, verse 23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord, not for men. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. Let's pray. Father, we confess that, I confess that it is very easy to, to, to live in the here and now and not see the future that you have not only planned for us, Lord, but told us about. That we live in faith in the power of the risen Lord. That you, Jesus, are the, the first fruits of that kingdom and you call us to follow you so Lord I just pray for each of us here you know where you've placed us you know the people who are going through difficult things Lord and Father you know I don't want to minimize those difficult things that they're going through but Lord we are confident that you are there too and that you have a future for all of us who have faith in you and Lord I pray too for any here who do not yet have a faith in you, who may have had input from people who know you, who love them. I pray, Father, that they will respond to who you are, that you came and showed yourself and died for each of us in order that we could be with you in that future, starting now. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for all that you show us in it. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen.